Welcome to the Non-Technically Speaking Podcast. I am your host, Ivy Shu. Here, I interview leaders in tech with a non-technical background from established leading markets like Silicon Valley in Beijing to emerging markets like Nairobi and Jakarta. We explore what business and operations-minded leaders bring to tech companies and the impact that they're able to make. I may also pop in here to solo show and share some stories of my own. I hope that all this content inspires you to confidently develop your own impactful career as a non-technical leader in tech. Join the community of listeners and non-technical leaders by visiting nontechnicallyspeaking.com. Welcome to episode seven. Today, I am here with Brandon Lee, who is the general manager at Setter. Brandon was previously an engagement manager at McKinsey Fuel, which is McKinsey's practice that works across the startup ecosystem. Brandon worked with growth stage startups and their investors on business planning, go-to-market, and growth strategy. Now at Setter, a concierge service for busy homeowners, helping them manage their homes, Brandon is responsible for growing the market, launching new markets, and building up the team as its general manager in San Francisco. I have gotten a lot of questions in my community on how I find these amazing podcast guests, and they really liked how I share how I knew Hugh and talk about how I meet people. And honestly, in terms of Brandon, I think Brandon and I just had a ton of mutual friends because we're both Canadian, and I tagged along on one of his catch-up lunches with one of my best friends, and we just became friends because I crashed that lunch. I don't even think he knew that I was coming. Hey, Brandon, thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Great. Uh, my first question, after a successful career at McKinsey, what brought you to Setter? Sure. And, you know, I'm not sure if I would call it a successful career at McKinsey. I certainly spent um, a couple of years there. What brought me to Setter? So Setter is a, it's a concierge service for homeowners, so we can tackle everything in their home so they don't have to. If you're putting one-on-one together, core value proposition is convenience and peace of mind and giving people back time in their, in their busy days because dealing with things around the home can actually be a huge hassle. So what brought me to Setter? Three things in classic McKinsey fashion. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the first one is, and it, it's kind of audacious to say this, but I, I truly believe it. And if you talk to the folks at Setter, they'll believe it as well. We believe that there is an opportunity here to truly build a category defining business. And I don't think that that happens very frequently in a meaningful way. Home services, Quick fact, uh, quick fun fact, home services is an $800 billion industry. The average homeowner spends something like 1% to 3% of their property value every year on maintaining and improving their home. So if you're doing like the quick math, it's something like 10 to 50K every year depending on the house, which is a crazy amount of money. And it amounts to a huge industry in the US. And unfortunately, or fortunately for us, it's incredibly antiquated. It's entirely or almost entirely like 90% pen and paper, referral business, cash transactions. Only 10% actually goes through what you would call like a digital first player, like a thumbtack, like an Angie's List, uh, like a home advisor. Um, so there's this huge opportunity, this huge untapped opportunity um, to really create a digital first player in the home services space, which is a, which is a monster, monstrous space. Very complicated, but um, incredibly rewarding if we get it right. Um, so, so thing number one, I think, is just this, this allure of being able to build a category defining business and not having that opportunity presented to you um, on, a <laughs> on a very regular basis. Um, the, uh, the second thing I think is that I believe that Setter is probably the best position to do this. I think that the, the way that Setter is tackling the market is unique. 
in the landscape of other home services startups and home services tech-first businesses, uh, so to speak. What I mean by that is I think that a lot of our competitors and a lot of the other folks in the industry are solving the wrong problem. Mm. I think that if you look at like a Yelp or an Angie's List or Thumbtack, they, they're all kind of just their marketplaces, which in the end uh, solve two things. The first thing is they solve the discovery problem for homeowners. So how does a homeowner, homeowner find a plumber? Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, if you go on Yelp, you still have to call six people, get six different quotes and manage the whole process yourself. And it solves the lead generation problem for, uh, for the plumber. Um, ultimately, they're just funneling leads to the plumber and they're not really doing anything to help conversion there. It's actually still a really complicated marketplace that has a lot of friction. Um, Setter's in the, in the do it for me business. So we'll take care of that end-to-end transaction, uh, which, which provides that peace of mind and that convenience of the homeowners, if that makes sense. Right, right. The problem is I want my house fixed. Yeah, not, exactly. Yeah. The problem isn't find like, find me a plumber, it. totally. Right. Uh, the, the problem is, oh my God, my dishwasher's broken. Um, I, can't, I can't do my dishes. Um, mm. Somebody take care of this for me, Good please. And, and quick, uh, quick vignette here. Um, Open Door is a, is a classic example of a company that's tackling this do-it-for-me problem. Um, there was a company, I can't remember the name of it, in the, in the 1990s, which was a DIY company, I guess you would call it, which helped yeah. people post their own homes and whatever and like, take care, like, uh, manage their own transaction. Over the course of its life cycle, 20 years, they posted 50,000 transactions mm-hmm. over the course of 20 years, and they were pretty proud of that. Mm-hmm. I think Opendoor, in the first two years, posted 50,000 transactions. And that's just the power of, do, of the do-it-for-me the do it for me economy, the do it for me marketplace. People it's just really want to, you know, outsource their problems to, to somebody else to just uh, have that taken care of for them. Right. Yeah. I think you answered two parts. Was there right. a third part? Right, right, right. right. <laughs> two parts. Um, so the uh, the third part is team. I think that when you join a uh, an earlier stage company, especially Series A, Seed, certainly, uh, maybe even Series B, uh, depending on the size of the team. What's going to make or break your ability to succeed in the market and really do things one and things two, which is um, make a category-defining business and then, um, and then really stand out in the marketplace as the team. Uh, do you think that this team of people has what it takes in order to, um, in order to really push the problem forward? Um, I, don't, I don't know who, who I heard this from, but uh, it, it stuck with me uh, since I've heard it. There is a, I think there's like a seed investor or a investor that was talking a lot, um, not only about product market fit, which we all are kind of familiar with, but also uh, founder market fit. And do the founders actually make sense for the problem that you're trying to solve? And I think Setter has that in space as well. Cool. So you mentioned that there's only 10% of traffic going through to marketplaces like Thumbtack or TaskRabbit, et cetera. Why is that? Where is the other 90% going right now? Yeah, that's the question. It's crazy. (laughs) Uh, It's like it's it's a referral pen and paper cash business. Um, it's, I know a guy who knows a guy. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So it, it's, it's all actually 90% of the, the space is going through, um, through those kinds of channels. Sure. So if that is the problem that you really need to capture the other 90%, mm-hmm. how are you doing that today? Yeah. How totally. are people finding you? Totally. Uh, so there's, I think the biggest thing that we are doing differently is we are thinking of the home and the homeowner as a, as, a, as a whole, and their entire wallet, so to speak, as, as a whole thing to be captured. Like I was saying, the average homeowner spends, what, between 10 and, 20, 10 and 50K on their home every year on maintenance and improvement. That's spread out over like 15, 20 vendors. Mm-hmm. Um, each vendor gets like a thousand bucks, 500,000 bucks, 200 bucks here. And as a result, it becomes an incredibly fragmented, uh, fragmented space because there are 
n degrees of different kinds of vendors. Your pool guy is different from your plumber, is different from your appliance guy. Um, so all that spend is just all over the place, all over the map in different spaces. Mm-hmm. Setter's approach is to really capture the homeowner and think of like the homeowner and the home as an asset to be managed. We're the asset managers, in essence, for this property for clients. So that niche specifically, there's a lot of companies that target more than that, right? Like TaskRabbit, Thumbtack. Thumbtack has piano lessons on it, right? And at some point, you do need to niche, and it's better to niche. How do you determine where to draw that? Like, why not do cars? Why not do, actually, lawns (laughs) or gardening, etc.? That's a good question. Why not? We're here to be the concierge service for the homeowners to take care of the things in and around their house. So gardens are fully in scope and totally welcome. We're actually striking uh, partnerships and looking for car detailing companies that can help add another service to our to our clients. So why not actually expand to other things in and around the house? How do you determine when someone comes on and let's say I come, I need my dishwasher mm-hmm. fixed? What happens in the back end? Yeah, totally. So it's a uh, so so we're we are what we would call like a managed marketplace. So. It's not your traditional marketplace like Thumbtack where you can go and solve your your discovery problem. You come to us with your problems and you let us solve it our way based on our network of supply. So every problem for a homeowner is a a demand and supply balancing problem. What that means is, hey, uh, you come with your dishwasher. We know, in theory, depending on how deep our relationship is with you, but for for our deepest clients, uh, we know what dishwasher you have, what model it is, what serial number it is. It's all part of an archive, like a home archive, a database of everything that goes in your home. So we know that this Wolf dishwasher needs this specific appliance technician because they specialize in high-end appliances. And they also service your region in San Francisco as opposed to San Jose because a lot of folks don't actually cross those barriers. Mm -hmm. So we can send the right person to you at the right time. And if we really know you well, you actually have your um, your keys or your door pad code in our our database as well, and we can actually let ourselves in. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't even have to be there. And that's kind of like the power of having a, a trusted relationship, a concierge, um, for a homeowner, as opposed to having to do this one-off thing that you have to do in other marketplaces. You mentioned that operations is incredibly challenging for mm. a business like this. Uh, what part of it? Front end, back end, the matching? Left, right, center, yeah. all of it. It's, it's, all, it's all a challenge. Ooh, where is it uh, a huge challenge? Um, I think two things, and it's kind of generic to say this, but it's a challenge on both sides of the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So on the on the homeowner side, we're really trying to create a, a novel experience for homeowners that people don't have today. People don't have concierges for their homes. And as a result, we need to we need to essentially create this category and prove the value and improve the value proposition for homeowners and provide that level of delight. So proving a new service category is a little bit of a hurdle that we need to overcome um, in order to to really leave our leave our fingerprints and our uh, our stamp on this market. On the supply side, okay. it is a it's a heavily fragmented SMB market with traditionally, I want to say, less sophisticated business operators, mm-hmm. and and that that's a huge <laughs> that's that's a huge assumption and paints everybody yeah. with the same brush. Less tech is, enabled, which is yeah, which is say. yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of unfair because there are very forward-thinking um, operators um, on the supply side, mm-hmm. but by and large, your plumbers, your contractors, your carpenters, um, they're all they're all coming from a uh, from an industry which is construction that is far less tech enabled. Mm. So managing that side of the marketplace has its own operational challenges because there's just such an ingrained way of doing things, which is pen and paper and, and referral. Right. So in order to get these would you call what would you call these construction workers on your marketplace? Uh, we, call the them pro, we call them pros. Pros. To get these pros on board since they're not really responding 
they're not too technical. They're not really going online responding to ads. How are you signing them up? Is it really like calls and on the ground? Yeah, it's it's everything. It's everything. It's it's kind of crazy. How how we're signing them up is it's kind of funny. Referrals. Okay. <laughs> uh, the way that, oh, that's so, smart. Yeah. yeah some, sometimes they, they sometimes, probably know other people that they refer business to anyway when they're yeah. full. Yeah. So, sometimes you have to go through the path of least resistance when you're trying to get into the into the space if you're going to disrupt it. If the predominant way to, to kind of make connections and build business and build trust is referrals in the space, uh, you should hop on that and use that as a channel. Mm-hmm. So we get referrals all the time from our pros to other pros. If we work with somebody that we that we trust, does good work, we know they, uh, they're they professional, it's likely that they would only refer somebody who's in that same kind of category, um, a category of pro, of pro or professional that we would want to work with. Cool. Is Setter right now only in San Francisco as well as maybe Canada? So Setter was founded in Toronto. Right. I know it was of, a Canadian yeah. company. Um, yeah. It's founded in Toronto, which is kind of fun. As a, as a Canadian living in San Francisco, um, I love actually waving the Canadian flag. Right. And, we all do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a little bit of national pride there. And saying, hey, we're, uh, we're expanding into the U.S. and the Bay Area is our expansion market. So right now, we are in, we're, in the, we're in the SF Bay Area, as broad and generic as you might want to call that. So it's everything right now from San Francisco down the peninsula to, to San Jose, Saratoga, um, Los Gatos mm-hmm. kind of uh, kind of area. I think that in the next three months, we're going to be heavily expanding into the East Bay. So everything mm-hmm. from like Berkeley, Oakland, Walnut Creek down to down to Livermore and Dublin mm-hmm. uh, will be kind of like the expansion path um, in the next three to three to six months. How do you decide where to expand to next? Yeah, that's a it's it's an interesting problem. There's there's the there's the McKinsey consultant in me that that wants to make it a spreadsheet problem, okay. and then there's the uh, like the, criteria, right? Yeah. Like household income or totally. size of house. I don't know. Yeah, like size of homes, household <laughs> income, like home ownership percentage versus rental percentage, all these metrics that you can look at that kind of points to uh, whether or not markets make sense or don't right. make sense. But at the end of the day, the 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 difference between the markets that make sense is like is not is, is not perceptible on the spreadsheet. Really? It's not. It's it's like oh, seventy three percent penetration versus seventy one percent penetration. Which is better? Okay. For uh, but are for you looking at ownership? markets of the entire U.S. or yeah. the entire Canada? Yeah. If you if you look across the U.S., like oh, okay, great. Like this market has like seventy three percent versus that market that has seventy eight percent. What is the real difference of that five percent? Mm, because they're both seventy to eighty percent markets. Right. I used to work at Wish, yeah. where our target demographic was definitely not the ones that lived in cities, not mm. Seattle, San Francisco, right. New York, L.A., not even you know Austin, Texas. We're talking about like five hundred miles outside of Texas. Mm. I mean, sorry, outside of Austin, Texas, yeah. where the Google Maps display was just a series of bungalows, and I'm sure they're homeowners, right? Or their household income might actually be around sixty thousand. Does that not differentiate itself from more of the more affluent cities? It, it, it totally does. And um, what I'm what I'm trying to uh, what I'm trying to say, and poorly getting across, I think, is that when you when you do the spreadsheet analysis, you end up getting let's call it like four quartiles okay. of um, potential markets. Uh, um, anything in the first quartile, like, is, is probably fair game or first quintile. I see. Um, is probably fair game, um, at least like at least as a starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what it really comes down to uh, launching this, like these markets is a is actually a supply demand balancing problem and your ability to balance that supply and demand mm-hmm. um, because at the end of the day that's that's really what's going to drive your your ability to service the market and, and build traction there right. um, so a lot of the things we're starting to think about is supply density like the ease of like like the supply like 
the ease of acquiring supply. Um, and and it, it's kind of silly to say this, but like, do we have a team that we think we could actually stand up there rather quickly? Mm-hmm. Um, we're actually letting, um, we're actually starting to let team be a large part of that conversation. Do we have someone who would actually put their hand up? Right, like a uh, launcher for yeah, a certain market. Yeah, to kind of go in. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I think East Bay kind of makes sense like in the very short term, because we already have operations out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a team that would be willing and happy um, to, to help us figure out that expansion path down there. But then when it comes to new cities, we're gonna need to we're gonna need to figure out the the right um, balance between the strategic elements, the the team element, and the operational complexity. Right. Okay, I'm gonna ask you a slightly unfair question because okay, your uh, CEO, I can't pronounce it, Guillaume. <laughs> Guillaume. Guillaume. I actually know the guy too. This is really sad. Okay. Just call him Guy. Guy. Okay. I might cut this part out. I don't know. <laughs> Guy was quoted on uh, TechCrunch mm-hmm. that he wanted to start Setter because human lives are made better when you can make essential human activities invisible. What do you? What does that mean to you? And what would happen if you know essential human activities were taken away? Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a you know I th- I think it's a bit of a stretch to. Hmm. I, I think it's a bit of a stretch to, to kind of paint home stuff, quote unquote, as essential human activities. Uh, it has to do with you can live in a terrible your, home yeah, as well. Like it, it has to a do with like, but it, yeah, but but it does have to do with your your living space and the the place you call uh, you call home. And I think that where we're going with this is, look, everybody has a place that they would like to call home. These things are complicated, expensive assets that require a lot of upkeep and care if you want them to, to kind of stay in, in a livable space or a livable shape. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, uh, have you ever tried to call a plumber or a uh, appliance guy? Yes. Yeah, how was that? It was someone that has worked for someone that I knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, it, the, it's a, I think it's a trust issue though. Yeah. Right? Yeah, uh, and, and what was the experience of working with them like? I just sat in the living room and then they you fixed my <laughs> pipes and then I gave them some cash and they left. <laughs> you <laughs> took like know. half a day off or something and yeah, 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 yeah. you let them that's in. That's true. You kind of yes, I had to be them. at home. Yeah, that's true. exactly. Uh, that's not invisible. That's that's uh, that's right. a half day of your life spent babysitting somebody um, and and dealing with your own problems. Mm. Um, I would posit, and this is kind of Setter's value proposition, that all of our lives would be made a lot more. Um, a lot more seamless, especially as homeowners or people who live in spaces, if these things could just happen in the background. And that's where we want to go, right? For this all to happen in the background so people can focus on living their life and loving their life as opposed to repairing their homes. When we talked about my plumber experience uh, yeah. where I had to babysit the plumber, it was because there was a trust situation, right? Where although this guy might have come and fixed my toilet before, I felt more comfortable, I guess, while being home. Where do you think this trust will expand more? Or where does it ever end? Like, where do people draw the line? And it, will it be different between you living in San Francisco versus someone else uh, in the middle of Texas? <laughs> yeah, everyone, everyone's gonna draw the line in different places. Um, is I think what the the answer truly is, and I think that as technologists, you need to just accept who you're building for, who you're building for, and then hope that down the road the the rest adopt. Um, is essentially I think the answer. But the way that we always think about it, and trust is like a trust is such a critical part of our business. The way that we think about it is, 
is is in phases. You know, I think the the ideal end state is uh, for us from a margins perspective and an operational complexity standpoint is oh it'd be awesome if if everyone just freely gave out their codes and we knew that all of our technicians were um, were wearing body cams or something um, that we could live stream and make sure everything's okay. Um, it, it'd be awesome if that's what we got to, uh, but that, that that's not going to be the reality tomorrow. So what like what step one and two before we get there in order for us to start building that trust and start building that that habit of working with us. So I think step one is um, is truly just having a, a set of representative be a part of the experience and having somebody go out and greet the appliance technician, show them the problem. Sometimes the home, homeowner's even there because they still, maybe it's the first or second job that they do with us. So just having them, that as a part of the experience is huge. Then you kind of move to this point where, oh, okay, center can just let you in and the homeowner doesn't feel the need to, to be there anymore. Eventually you graduate to a point where, oh, you know, they've worked with setter enough that they just trust that who setter is gonna send is, uh, is quality enough and trustworthy enough to not break things or take things um, in the home. Um, eventually, I think you get to this point where you have this distributed um, this distributed world where there's actual accountability and visibility for everybody involved. So so no one is actually concerned about what, what's going on anymore. But that might be three or four steps uh, into the future. I have thought about this, and I'm just thinking out loud here, that a lot of technologies have just replaced this existing economy that was very trust-based where people trust that others care more about their long-term business over short-term gains. Mm -hmm. And I don't have a question to end that with. No, 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 <laughs> that was just like me thinking out loud here, yeah. I, th I, I think it's true. I think that a lot of business um, is built, like a lot of business traditionally has been built on trust. And like you look at what ratings did for Uber and like all these, kind, all these other examples of digitizing trust um, and the, the onus on companies that are trying to really rapidly scale is how do you productize trust? Um, and it's, right. it's a question that, you know, like we grapple with every day at Setter. Mm. Um, I won't say that we've absolutely cracked it. And even if we had, I probably wouldn't let it loose. Mm. Um, <laughs> I feel like a yeah. big problem here that these companies, including Setter, are trying to solve is it's really unfair that some people in a trust-based society is fully in the hands of their own network, right? Mm. You, you only trust people that you know if you just happen to be rather born into or operate in an industry where you there's not a lot of people within your circle, then you can't access people outside of that. So take, taking Uber, for example, mm -hmm. where if you were a private car driver, like you have to go out and build your network of people that you want to drive. Well, now yeah. Uber can help you get access to certain customers that you wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, and uh, that that's kind of the power of these marketplace businesses, mm -hmm. right? Is, is it, it kind of... It, it enables both sides and it's kind of like the trusted platform in between that allows uh, all of these transactions to really take place um, in a safe space, right? Like right, in, in, a, right. in a safe space um, it allows these things to happen. Um, I would actually, uh, I, wanna, I wanna touch on trust though with homeowners. Um, it's kind of shocking actually when you start to, you start to interview homeowners. Um, there's a really polar split on, on people's perspectives on, on this issue of trust. There's, there's one camp where people are absolutely like not trusting of any technician who go, who's going to get into their home because they just um, they feel uncomfortable with it and there's another right. camp which is like oh i already let my gardener in and i already have like i've got a cleaning service that comes in every week ah well <laughs> what's like another handful of people who have my garage access right. code uh -huh. um it, it, it's really like polar opposite splits and like there's a clear line between them have you looked at what the backgrounds of these people are like is it more wealthy people that are more easy about people coming in or because they might have cleaners already or is it 
you know, that they're like, oh, don't touch my stuff. <laughs> or, you know, are they like first generation wealth or old wealth? I think that'll all play a difference. You know, like we, well. don't, we, don't, we don't have it nailed yet. Uh-huh. Um, I think that what it, what it truly comes down to is a little bit of a, um, it, it's, it's really, there's a, there's a psychographic segment, I think, of people who just value their time, mm. um, who, who truly value their time and have, uh, and, and trust like a third party. And I, I don't have a demographic split on it, unfortunately. Mm. I Is wish, that I wish it I did. something that said or do? Like, do you really try to dive into like user experience and who they are, create personas? Yeah, no, no, we have, we have a persona. Um, yeah. our, our target customer is actually named Audrey. Okay. Um, I can tell you all. Who is Audrey? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, okay, so uh, don't don't hold me uh, to this, but I think Audrey is 42. She's a uh, she's a director of sales okay. um, at a uh, I think at a financial services firm. I'm not quite sure actually which company she works at. Her husband um, is also a high powered uh, gentleman, um, really really focused on his career as well. The two of them have the two of them have two kids. They're two kids running around. They're causing a mess. I think they're like three and five like respectively. And between Audrey, her partner, and the kids, there's no time in the day to take care of the things that inevitably break. Mm. They're focused on their careers, and then they're focused on their family. And they've splurged on this house, which is beautiful and they love. Unfortunately, they don't have the time to take care of it. I can see it now. That's Audrey. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm guessing there's other personas of like harder and easier cells, the ones that skew further away from Audrey, right? Yeah, there's uh, the, the other persona that we really go after. Jeez, um, oh, I think his name is Mark. Okay. Uh, he's a, essentially we, we the call name him, really does make it more personable. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark is a uh, he's a career superstar. He's, he's really focused on his career first. He's. Uh, I, I, sorry. Go I ahead. imagine him to be a banker or something. Just because you only mentioned Mark, and he doesn't have a wife yet. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, kind of, that maybe that kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it, if like the common okay. thread here is really it's um, it's lack of time. That, that kind of strings these uh, these folks together. People who value their time um, and value a concierge service or value kind of like more of that um, white glove service that's, uh, that, you're, that uh, truthfully, you're not going to get at a at a Thumbtack or, or a Yelp. But that's probably serving a different segment than us right now. When you joined, there was only three others. And you were doing a lot of the on-the-ground operations when you launched, I guess, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. What was that like to take a new market from zero to hiring your first employee yeah um who was your first employee that you brought on here <laughs> ironically the the first employee was actually another uh another colleague or ex-colleague of mine from mckinsey in okay. vancouver um uh-huh. so so she joined me down here um she's incredible she's the operations manager so essentially she she runs the show uh day to day now mm-hmm. uh, but when we first joined um, you can think of there being like kind of two critical activities. The first activity is uh, the sale and the project. The first activity is like the sale and the project management um, of of jobs for clients and and just kind of getting that business. And the second activity is making sure that those things actually go well and actually happen. Um, so here you are, you have like these two like McKinsey consultants who know nothing about this space. I'm doing all the sales and project management, and she's making sure that they all actually happen properly and um, the clients are satisfied and all that kind of stuff. And um, we both just kind of jumped in, rolled up our sleeves, and made sure that it was happening. Um, and then since then, we've been able to really build an organization around it, um, based on you know like a lot of the insights of doing it ourselves. I don't think that we would have, um, I don't think we would have made anywhere near as much progress or had the level of insight um, on how to build and structure this team if we hadn't been doing those jobs in the trenches mm-hmm. in the beginning. By how to structure this team, you mean that like these are the parts that are incredibly challenging, let's say managing pros or getting them on board, et cetera, then you would put more 
um, staff on that. Totally. And these are the activities that really take the most amount of time or these are the activities that kind of like naturally dovetail into each other. Right. So this is how we're going to split the responsibilities. These are how, um, these are how like, the, like this is where folks are going to, are going to focus and this is where like the handoff is because mm -hmm. there's going to have to be a handoff at some point, but where does it go? I see. Well, thank you so much, Brandon. I'm yeah. going to actually ask you, not that these questions already weren't like quick fire. We okay, didn't cool. really prepare for this, but um, just two questions that I ask everyone. Okay, so cool. uh, what has been one of the most influential books that you've read in uh, the, recently? You know, I'm going to say that uh, one, of the, one of my favorite books that I've, uh, I'll kind of give you two answers to this. One of my favorite books I've read recently is Shoe Dog. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I read it, it too. Yeah, be uh, beautiful story, incredibly well written, um, and just a such a brutally, I think, honest and vulnerable account of what it takes mm. uh, to build a company like that. And it's not the it's it's a, it's not the view that you get when you read, I think, other books about success or listen to the TED talks or anything like that. Like you you see the um, you see on the ground the things that that Phil Knight had to go through um, and overcome. And hey, he bluffed his way through a lot of it. And I think that's a reminder to all of us that no one actually knows. Like truly, what like what they're doing, or no one really has it all under control. Like while actually, it's that's going what on. I hear from a lot of consultants in their first year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, okay. and it, it relates so well. Like we have, um, we have ten x this in this market in SF in the Bay Area in the last six months, and you know, like a lot of people say, oh wow, good job, good job. But like truly, it kind of feels like it hap it's happening to me, uh, and I'm just trying to I'm just trying to ride it and stay in control, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to really like having my arms around it at all. What has been the greatest piece of advice that you've been given? Piece of advice. I think when I put a superlative in there, then people get really nervous. But right. really, it can be anything that comes to mind. That's what it's supposed to be for a quick fire. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, something that has, uh, has kind of stuck with me is when you're faced with two options and you don't know clearly what you want to do, do the thing that's hard because that's going to force you to grow more. It's a really great one. I have actually yet to hear, I'm not this Addison, but I have yeah. yet to hear a piece of advice of the three people that I podcasted that I haven't heard of myself. I'm like yeah. waiting for someone to give me a piece of advice I've never heard before. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe I should ask that. I remember yeah. that, that should be my question. Like, yeah. what piece of advice that have you been given that you think is really great that I haven't been given yet? Right. Yeah. Um. That, like. Yeah. That's that's unique. That's like very personal to you. Right. As I think about it, I'm not sure that I'm gonna find one. I, I think really, that, you never had. No. I I think that. I think wisdom is. Hmm. I think. Okay. I'm gonna finish that sentence for you. Yeah. I think wisdom is the right thing at the right time in the right place, right? So that's why I actually think a lot of it is very personal, where I think if you provide context around it, it would be more personal, even if it's a piece of advice that I have been given. Yeah. Like, right? uh, the Maybe in why, different words. Like, you know? I, I think the reason why it's hard to actually find like a piece of advice that is um, that is truly novel is because I don't think that... There are truly... Yeah, I don't think that <laughs> there the are The values truly, are like the same, yeah. Yeah, like, I think the problems that we face as people like tend to be the same kind of problems over the course of your life, um, just in different ways and in different contexts, like you're right, saying. Right, right, right. Um, so I, I don't think that like the things that people pass on are, are truly novel. Right. Um, God, that sucks. Yeah. I think you're just more impressionable at a time where yeah. like you are troubled about something or maybe you didn't even know you're troubled about something yeah. and then the right phrase just like floats in and right. you're like whoa <laughs> I mean, what, are, what are you troubled with right now 
<laughs> what am I, you're yeah. gonna give me a piece of advice? Yeah, maybe, maybe tailoring it is the easy way to do. Oh, is like no. the better way to do it. What am I troubled with? The ability to like trust the journey on because a lot of the future is still very unclear and there's a lot of decisions to be made. But then I think about it, I'm like, I like that, right? I like it when it's, I can't see something down. Like, what, where will I be in 10 years? I don't want to see that. Mm-hmm. Like, if I see that, then I, I get very nervous that, you know, that's not good enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd rather it be up in the air. Yeah. yeah. That's, well, yeah. Okay. Well, hey, like, the, the, way I, the way I see the world is that it's like this, like, this, like, this river of, like, concurrent opportunities that you're just kind of, like, floating along. And any given at any given point along this river, there's like you can go left, you can go right, you could talk to the person on the side of the street, and it could change the path you go down on. And hey, it's it's kind of your um, it's your journey to pick, and that's kind of the beauty of it, and that's the fun of it all. Um, hey, does it all, that's just a fancier way of saying uh, enjoy the like the journey. The journey is the destination, I guess, um, to to put it into more generic terms. But I, I I think that's the way to look at it. Well, yeah, I actually haven't heard of that saying before. Huh. Like the the river saying. I've yeah. actually thought of it always like a different way where I'm like, oh, if I like turn a little bit, my life turns out completely different. It's kind of scary, but also exciting at the same time. Well, thank you so much, Brandon. Yeah, uh, this has been great. I learned been so much. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me.